Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. Today's the 23rd of January of 2022, and today's podcast is going to be based on a fantastic article that was published just a couple days ago in Intensive Care Medicine titled Cardiac Injury and COVID-19. Links to the article are down in the show notes, and I have to tip my hat to the author, authors, excuse me, including Judy Helms, Alain Combs, and Nadia, and I'm sorry, I don't know how to say this name and I don't want to massacre it so I'm going to uh, kind of skip it. They wrote this fantastic article on cardiac injury and COVID-19. I definitely recommend that you read it for yourself and do not trust me because they have a fantastic image which shows the different pathogenic mechanisms as well as the clinical presentation of our patients who have COVID-19 end up sick enough usually to need to eventually meet us in the intensive care unit and how COVID-19 affects the heart. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Getting straight into the meat and potatoes here with regards to the pathogenic mechanisms, the first thing one has to consider is the oxygen issues that we have with our COVID patients simply because of their severe hypoxemia. This does end up causing myocardial oxygen supply dem- demand imbalance. You know, what we end up seeing in these patients because of the severe hypoxemia is hypoperfusion of the myocardium. This ends up leading to shock. And in some patients, you may go on to see a stress-induced cardiomyopathy. Now, the patients who are more severely affected by COVID-19 with an inflammatory pattern that is sky high is that a lot of these patients end up going into ARDS, which stands for Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. This is usually what leads the patients to be in the ICU. And as an aside... ARDS used to be something that was defined based on radiologic findings and clinical findings that would lead patients on mechanical ventilation. But recently, a argument was made to include patients who were on high-flow nasal cannula under the definition of ARDS that I completely agree with. But again, that's a, that's a complete aside. It has nothing to do with this podcast. The other thing is that you end up finding RV dysfunction not only from this ARDS, but believe it or not, we do cause right ventricular dysfunction secondary to the positive pressure of our mechanical ventilation systems because of the vent. The other thing that might be causing patients to go into RV dysfunction includes patients who have pulmonary thromboembolism. There's been much debate over the course of the pandemic as to whether these patients need to be put on prophylactic anticoagulation or therapeutic anticoagulation. It's not a answer that I'm going to go over here during the course of this podcast because it's outside the scope of this podcast. But generally speaking, that is something that's quite important to the management of these patients. In addition to that, the interactions of the actual SARS-CoV-2 virus with the heart ACE2 receptors ends up you know, causing this inflammation in the actual uh, endothelium as well. And there's also a procoagulant activity. And again, all this is because of the inflammation and the cytokine storm that we see in these patients that leads them to be sick enough to come to the ICU. Then there is also myocardial injury that takes place with these patients. It has to do with direct viral lesion of both the endothelial cells as well as direct viral lesion of the myocardial cells. All these pathogenic mechanisms lead to cardiac injury in our patients.
So now that we have a better understanding of what the pathogenic mechanisms are, we have to understand what the clinical presentations are of these different mechanisms because at the end of the day, this is what we end up seeing at our outpatient clinics, our emergency departments, and the patients who get sick enough to come meet us in the intensive care unit, which is unfortunately where they meet me. Now, the most common things that happen to these patients is that they have acute cardiac injury. The way we're able to identify this is by abnormalities in their biomarkers. They're going to have elevations in their troponin. Then we have a lot of patients who we see who have acute coronary syndrome. These patients present with chest pain. They present with shock and cardiac arrest. But before that, hopefully you'll catch it and, you know, notice that the troponins are elevated, that the patient has EKG abnormalities. And then hopefully you have a cardiology team and an interventional cardiology team at your institution that's going to be aggressive enough to go ahead and take these folks to the cath lab. Just like these patients have DVTs and PEs and this whole prothrombotic manifestation that we do see, that also takes place with regards to their coronary arteries. And, you know, we've seen people who just have uh, STEMIs while they've been on the vent for a number of days, at least in my institution. A lot of these patients also present with arrhythmias. Here you'll need, obviously, an EKG, but you find it when they are on the on the telemonitoring, you'll see that they start having EKG abnormalities, they start throwing PVCs, uh, they start, you know, going into a VTAC or VFib, and, you know, there's underlying reasons for this. A lot of these patients are hypoxic, and that's just irritable to the heart, or you're getting kind of a, kind of a prodrome, so to speak, to their acute coronary syndrome that they're going to go to. And what you try to avoid with these arrhythmias is for the patient to go into cardiac arrest. Another actual clinical presentation is that some of these patients have acute core pulmonale, and here you find the patient who's in right heart failure. You know, you go ahead and you put a cardiac probe on them, and you see that their RV is dilated and not moving very well. And, you know, here these patients need support. You need to go down the rabbit hole to find out if they have a PE or, you know, try different strategies to manage their ARDS to relieve some pressure on the right heart. Some patients might need nitric oxide or Flowland, but again, you just need to support them as they get through this. Going back to what causes acute core pulmonale, some of these patients have thromboembolic disease. They present with chest pain, shortness of breath, kind of like they all do. Um, I don't know what the practice is in your institution, but here uh, where I practice, a lot of patients get CTAs to rule out PE because, again, we found a number of patients with PEs who therefore lead to them uh, having right heart dysfunction. And then we go down the rabbit hole figuring out how it's going to be managed. But again, that's outside the scope of this podcast. But one could go ahead and look for deep vein thrombosis and put these patients on anticoagulation. And uh, again, try your best to prevent them from having DVTs that are therefore going to lead to PEs. Now, the part that's a little bit more frustrating are these patients who go ahead and develop myocarditis and in addition to that the patients who have a pericardial effusion. From a clinical standpoint a lot of these patients are going to have chest pain. They will have the manifestations of left or right heart failure. Some of them will actually present in shock and cardiac arrest with before that EKG abnormalities and elevated troponins but one of the frustrating things about myocarditis is they're at least at this point time of this podcast recording because I've gone down this rabbit hole before there isn't much data as to how long the myocarditis lasts in these patients now if the patient has a large pericardial effusion this is something that usually needs to be tackled 
by an EP physician or depending on your institution, how you all go, go about it, sometimes CT surgery gets involved to drain said pericardial effusion. Now going through the paper, they gave a number of statistics that I found quite interesting. For example, cardiac injury, including an increase in troponin, occurred in as many as 50% of patients who were hospitalized of COVID-19. But one of the things that they were very clear to specify is that the vast majority of COVID-19 patients that had acute cardiac injury also had cardiovascular comorbidities. Here, the authors stated that they had hypertension, obesity, metabolic syndrome, and pre-existing coronary artery disease, and this could all have contributed significantly to these patients having these cardiac manifestations of COVID-19. They go ahead and talk in far more detail than I covered in this podcast earlier about the pathogenic mechanisms if you want to read into how the SARS-CoV-2 virus goes into the myocardial cells and all that, but that's that's beyond the scope of this um, of this podcast. Also the histologic features and things like that. All in all, I hope you gain something from listening to this podcast, things that one should watch out for when taking care of these patients as the lungs are definitely not the only organ that is affected adversely from this awful virus. One needs to be on their toes in the ICU when they notice changes in the tele strips and because obviously these patients who are intubated and ventilated, they can't provide a history for you and tell you that they're having chest pain because they're usually deeply sedated. But noticing changes in their hemodynamics should prompt you to go down the rabbit hole of investigating whether this patient is having changes in their LV or RV function for that matter. Because uh, in my practice, we've given a couple people TPA when they've become hemodynamically stable and had some good outcomes after that. Just some things to keep in mind. Hope you all learned something from this podcast at least. If you gained anything I would greatly appreciate if you take the time to go to if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to give me a five-star review as it helps the podcast grow. Thanks everybody. Hope you have a great day. Bye.